0: Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Psalms chapter 19 verses 12 to 14 in part 3 of a sermon series called Declare the Glory of the Lord. With this message from May 12th titled Declaration Through Our Lives.
1: if you were to get to get down to the nitty gritty motivations behind all that God does, I believe you would discover God does everything ultimately for himself, for his glory. And I know it seems counterintuitive when talking about a loving God who died in the place of all sinners, but the Bible makes it very clear that all God does. He ultimately does for his own glory. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. When asked to define God's glory, John Piper wrote, I believe the glory of God is a going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. God's glory is a radiance of his holiness. The radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. This morning, we are concluding a series from Psalm 19, which I have entitled declare the glory of the Lord declare the splendor, the beauty, the excellence, the worth, the honor, and the acclaim of God. I propose to you that David in Psalm 19 reveals three ways in which God declares his glory. God declares his glory through the world in which he has made. David said, and we would agree, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. The immensity, complexity, constancy, variety, and beauty of creation reveal God's unmeasurable power, his unsearchable wisdom, his eternal eternal reliability, majestic grandeur, and supreme authority. As Kathy Howard says, all creation lifts a clear, unbroken course of praise to its creator. Nature beckons us to seek God, bidding us turn our eyes and hearts to the creator. It is beyond comprehension that this powerful, majestic, holy God desires us to know him. And yet he does. God also declares his glory through his word he has given We are given a glimpse of God's glory through his written revelation, which David describes as law, as testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules. And in so doing, he is telling us that God is not merely a powerful creative force. Rather, he is a person with whom we are able to have a relationship. Through his written revelation, we can not only know about God, but we can come to know God personally. It is through these scriptures, his written word, that we hear the voice of God speaking to us. But David gives one other way in which God's glory is declared. His His glory is declared through our walk, through the way in which we live our lives. As human beings, we are manifestations of his glory because we're created in his image. Therefore, we can make him look glorious through everything we do. And it's for this reason, Paul gave us this exhortation and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. R.C. Spruill, who passed away in 2017, once said, we do not segment segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. That is what the Christian life is all about. Amy Carmichael served as a missionary to India for 55 years without ever taking a furlough. Among other things, she opened an orphanage, but Elizabeth Elliot said this about Amy Carmichael. She said her great longing was to have a single eye for the glory of God. Whatever might blur the vision of God had given her of his work. Whatever could distract or deceive or tempt others to seek anything but the Lord Jesus himself. She tried to eliminate. Like Amy Carmichael, you and I must have a single eye for the glory of God. The goal of our life should be to live so that when people know us well enough, they would say, God is glorious. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19. And this morning we're going to focus on verses 12 to 14. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's word at this time. David writes, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. From this passage, I would suggest having a single eye for the glory of God means that we must take sin seriously, constantly seeking God's cleansing. To bring glory to God, we cannot be consumed with ourselves. Fulfilling our sinful passions, lusting after the things of this world or seeking satisfaction from the temporal things of life. So whether you are a mother or a father, a wife or a husband, married or single, an adult or a child, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you. When you are most satisfied in him sin, however, makes us dissatisfied with God rather than finding our delight in him. We often seek it in the things that the world offers. And when we do, we are left spiritually bankrupt. We experience an emptiness and further dissatisfaction because the pleasures of sin last only for a season. If having a single eye for the glory of God means taking sin seriously. What counsel does David give to us regarding this matter? One of the first things I would have you notice that he highlights is the reality of sin within us. I think it's important to point out at this time that that David is a man who loves God. He is overwhelmed and in awe with all that God has made. He delights in God's word. He treasures it more than gold. He finds it more appealing and satisfying than the sweetest of honey. He longed for an enjoyed intimate fellowship with God. David's relationship with God is more than an intellectual one. He has fostered a vibrant and a passionate relationship with him. He loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet he still sinned. There were times when he turned from God, when he turned from God's word and from God's ways. Have you heard the old saying, straighten up and fly straight? Just like an arrow with a bent shaft is unable to fly straight and true. People with bent natures have a hard time staying on the straight and narrow, so to speak. David, the psalmist, the king of Israel, and a man after God's own heart, recognized this about himself. He recognized his bent nature. He understood the pervasive nature of sin. We humans are so warped by sin. We don't often realize it. Even when we say or do something that is offensive to God. Because David understood his bent toward wrongdoing. That he was a sinner. He knew that he could not recognize all his sinful ways, thoughts, and attitudes. And so he asked God to reveal and to forgive even those things that were hidden. Then David asked God to begin ridding him of those things and to make him holy and pleasing to him, which would ultimately bring glory to God. Just like David, we who love God, who delight in his ways, who stand in awe of his greatness, who cherish his word and who marvel at his grace. We too still sin. We too have a difficult time staying on the straight and narrow, but that does not give us an excuse to go on sinning. Rather, it means that we must deal with our sin. David uses three terms for sin in verses 12 to 13. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The terms are errors, hidden faults, And presumptuous sins. Which also includes the term transgression. Some would suggest that when David uses the term errors. He is referring to sins committed in ignorance. Or unintentional sins. And I think all of us can look back over our life. And think of times we did something. Or said something. Or thought something. That violated God's word. But we did so in ignorance. Or we did it unintentionally. But perhaps David means something else. Our errors leave us baffled by our sinfulness. In other words, who can get to the bottom of his own sinning? Who can fathom the tangled web of self-deceit? Put another way, there is a way of sinning that simply baffles us. We look in the mirror and we say to ourselves after we thought something or did something or said something and and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I don't even know who you are. You baffle me. I think this is the dilemma that Paul found himself in. As he struggled with his sin nature, his bent toward wrongdoing, he said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. But not the ability to carry it out for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Perhaps that is the way you have felt in life as well. The things that you want to do are the things that you don't do and the things that you don't want to do are the things that you end up doing. As long as we live, the old sinful nature that has been crucified with Christ and should be reckoned dead is going to continue to baffle us and at times frustrate us and anger us by sneaking up on us and causing us to do things and say things and feel things that we don't really mean and don't plan and hate as soon as we recognize them. Have you ever been baffled over the sins you commit? You look at yourself in the mirror and you silently ask. Why did you do that? I don't even know who you are anymore. Why do you do the things that you do? And, and, and why do you not do the things that you want to do? You're baffled. David also uses a term hidden faults. Again, some would suggest that David is speaking about sins, which we try to hide from others. And even from God, like lust or theft or cheating. And the reality is there are times when we try to conceal our sin. Try to make sure nobody else finds out about it. Yet maybe David has something else in mind by using the term hidden faults. Could David mean that we are blind to our sinfulness? It is not that we don't know what we did. Rather, we don't feel the sinfulness of it. We don't feel the weightiness of our sin. We don't see sin as sin. We know what we did. We know what we said. But we are blind to the sinfulness of it. We are oblivious to how our actions, words, and attitudes detract from the glory of God. So often, rather than calling sin what it really is, we try to sugarcoat it or whitewash it by calling it shortcomings or weaknesses, even character flaws. And sometimes we get into a pattern of living and behaving or speaking that is sinful but we don't even recognize it as sinful because it's been a part of our life for such a long time. When you and I excuse our sin, rationalize our sin, justify our actions or blame other people for our wrongdoing. It's an indication that we are blind to our sinfulness, that we don't understand the weightiness of what we have done and how it has transgressed God's law. And this is what, Precisely what David recognized in his own life. And the third term, which David uses is presumptuous sins, which are willful and deliberate sins. We sin when we presume we know better than God or presume that sin is no big deal. The word presumptuous here is a Hebrew word which literally means to, to seethe or to boil over and therefore means to sin intentionally. They are sins committed with forethought and with eyes wide open. They come from a heart that thinks, I know God says this is wrong and harmful, but I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do it anyways. In regards to presumptuous sins, Charles Spurgeon said that people look at the incident in the Old Testament where a man was put to death for gathering firewood on the Sabbath and question why God would punish like that. Spurgeon said that the man was not put to death merely for gathering sticks. He was put to death because he knew what God had said. And blatantly and blasphemously disobeyed to his face. It wasn't the sticks. It was a purposeful disobedience. It was a presumptuous sin. And that passage shows how serious that is in the eyes of God. I compare presumptuous sins or transgressions. To two children on the playground, one draws a line in the sand and says, don't cross this line and the other says, I don't care what you say and defiantly steps over that line. I want to ask you this morning. Can you think of a time when you willfully and deliberately stepped over the boundaries God set for you? It wasn't that you were ignorant of those boundaries. Rather, you wanted to fulfill a sinful desire in your heart. And so knowing that what God has said, you deliberately went against his word and his way. And so David was very much aware of the reality of sin in his life. Sin that baffled him, then that he was blind to, but also sin that was deliberate and intentional. And if we are honest, we can relate to what David has just said. But that raises a question. How do people who love God deal with sin? What should our response be? We discover what our response to sin ought to be in the way David prays. He first prays, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Here David prays a prayer for pardon for sins committed. He is praying that God would acquit him, that God would render him guiltless and forgive him. Or as the apostle Paul would say, Justify me, reckon me righteous, and do not impute my errors and hidden sins to me. Cancel them out. Let them go. David knew that God was merciful and eager to forgive. In Psalm 103 verse 12, he wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The prophet Micah wrote, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And listen to what the apostle John wrote in his first epistle. Chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pardon is utterly indispensable for a life of joy, hope, and peace. We must believe that these sins are covered and forgiven when we pray. Declare me innocent of hidden faults. The second prayer David offers is found in verse 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Now, this is not a prayer for forgiveness and acquittal. Rather, it is a prayer for power to not commit sins. David is asking God for strength so that he will not commit sin so that he will rise above the temptation to sin. He doesn't want to become enslaved, controlled by or under the domination of sin. At the moment of our new birth, you and I were given the third person of the Trinity to reside within us, the Holy Spirit. He was sent into our lives to empower us for holy living and for loving service. And as we draw upon his strength moment by moment and day to day, we can resist as the apostle John says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that which is not from the father, but is from the world. The apostle Paul gave to us his promise in first Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man, but God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I believe that we can experience complete triumph over presumptuous sin, and that presumptuous sinning must cease to be the characteristic of our lives. God calls us to this; he gives us a power for it through the Holy Spirit, as David prays for. Pardon and power. He does so with the assurance that he will be rescued and delivered from his sin. And how do we know that? We do so through the names he ascribes to God. David ends Psalm 19 with these words. Let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Lord is our rock. Our strength to overcome sin in and of ourselves. We are incapable of dealing with our sin nature. We need the help that comes from the Lord, our rock. And the Lord is our redeemer. The one who offers forgiveness from our sin. Nothing else or no one else is able to wash away our sin. It's only through Christ that we are made clean and made whole. Now, did you notice? That the names David ascribes to God correspond with the prayers he offered up to God. David had asked for strength so that he would not commit sin. God is his rock that provides such strength and power. And David asked for pardon. God is the Redeemer who acquits, cleanses, removes, and forgives sin. And it's for this reason, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he cried out to God Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. When he was old and close to dying, he said, although my memories fading, I remember two things very clearly. First, I am a great sinner. And second, Christ is a great savior. You and I need to understand that we are great sinners. There is a reality of sin that you and I struggle with each and every day. And, and David understood that at the very beginning of in verses 12 and 13. He talked about his errors and his hidden faults and his presumptuous sins and his transgressions. He understood that. But he also knew that God was a great savior. The one who pardons and forgives and cleanses. Our rescue from sin comes through the Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And I should point out that the term Lord refers to the covenant God. The God who makes a covenant with us. The God who is faithful, the one who desires to know us personally and desires us to know him personally. He is a one who is our rock and our redeemer. As I said at the outset, the motivation behind all that God does is ultimately for Himself. It's for His glory. He has created the heavens and the earth to declare His glory. He has given to us His written word, the revelation of Himself, for His glory. He has created you and me for His glory. And as the heavens declare the glory of God, and as His word declares the glory of God, So also are you and me to declare the glory of God. And that is why the apostle Paul said, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. So wherever you find yourself, whatever you find yourself doing, whatever role God has given to you, whether it be a mother or a father or a teacher or a pastor or a firefighter, Whatever is your calling and your role in life. In all of that, he calls us to bring glory to his name. We are to have a single eye for the glory of God. Therefore, we are to take sin seriously and constantly seek God for his cleansing and forgiveness. Why? Because a life of purity and holiness displays a radiance of God's holiness. It displays a radiance of his manifold, infinitely worth and valuable perfections. And so if you desire a single eye for the glory of God. Pray as David prayed in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Gain the courage to face your real self and take a hard look at your true motives. You and I must be willing to open up our innermost being to the thorough searching of God, doing so without fear, doing so in simple faith. We must let God examine and and change our real motives. Those hidden drives, those ambitions, those dark secrets of our lives must be brought to light. And as they are brought to light, He promises to forgive, to acquit, to pardon. But He also promises that He will give us a power to overcome so that we do not need to be enslaved to sin, to its habits, to our thoughts that are sinful, to our actions, to our speech. That do not bring glory to his name. You see, when we rid ourselves of sinful patterns and replace them with godly patterns, our lives become pleasing to God. And what is the result? He is glorified. He is glorified. I think of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to the crowd on the Sermon on the Mount. As individuals gathered around him, he said, let your light shine before others. Light dispels darkness. Light show is radiant. And Jesus says, let your light shine before others. So they may see your good works and do what? To do what? To give glory to your father who is in heaven. A life of purity. A life that radiates holiness and righteousness bears witness to the glory of God, to which we are called to do, to which is the motivation behind all that God does, everything for his glory, ultimately for himself. I'm going to ask you to bow as I pray. Father, as we reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul, that whatever we do in word or deed must be done for your glory. That we would examine our life in light of that command and exhortation. And that we would ask ourselves whether or not we are dealing with sin in our life. Those errors, those things that baffle us and blind us are hidden faults those presumptuous sins and transgressions when we in rebellion say, I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Father, this morning we pray as David prayed that you would search our hearts, that you would know our inmost thoughts, that you would reveal those to us, those true motivations of life. We know that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Forgive us, Father, when we aren't even in touch with the sins we commit. When we are not even moved or disturbed when we have transgressed your law and your commands and your precepts. When we have been in a pattern of living for so long that sin is just normal for us. Father, through the power of your spirit, reveal to us at this moment what we need to deal with. We acknowledge that we love you. We acknowledge this morning that we want to walk in obedience to you, that you are our delight, that you are our joy, and yet there is sin that tangles us up, that trips us up. And so we ask for your forgiveness, for your pardon, but also for your power to overcome so that we, as your people, would declare your glory, your honor, your value, your worth, your glory in the name of jesus Amen.
0: thanks for joining us we hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey if you would like to connect with us you are welcome to join our service every sunday morning at 10 30 for more information you can find us at facebook.com slash tbc swan river and if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast Go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.